Good morning, church. Today we're in week two of our Advent series. In this Advent series, overall, we're looking at what it means that Jesus is the Christ. Each week, we're going to be looking at the Christ from a different angle, so to speak. Last week, we dove into the scriptures seeking to understand what it means that Jesus is the only suitable Christ, meaning Jesus, the God-man, is the only one who can be, the only one who is able to be, the only one who will ever be, the Christ. Jesus is the only suitable Christ. This morning, we will seek to understand from the scriptures what it means that Jesus is the all-sufficient Christ. And our base text is going to be Isaiah 52, verse 13 through 53, 12. So go ahead and turn there. Uh, if you haven't already, if you don't have a Bible, you can find this in the Blue Pew Bible under your chair, the chair in front of you, page 613 and 614. I will not exhaust this text. I'll be jumping around, and I've cheated. I've got all the verses on my paper, but you don't have that, so I'll have them all on the screen for you to read. While you turn there, Isaiah 52, 53... I want to get our minds going this morning with some rhetorical questions to get us thinking about sufficiency. Jesus is the all-sufficient Christ. The idea of sufficiency, we'll see, is not uncommon to us, especially in Northern Virginia. So first question, if you are baking cookies and your recipe calls for one cup of butter, but you only have a half cup of butter, do you have the sufficient amount of butter to make those cookies? No, and I learned that the hard way this week. We had a neighbor over for dinner. I made tea, and then after the tea, I had some urge to make some cookies. You know that urge you get to bake some cookies? Well, you don't have the urge to bake. You have the urge to eat them. But in order to eat them, you got to bake them. So I had the urge to bake cookies. Well, I got all the ingredients together, and I got the butter out, and I realized I've only got a half a stick of butter, not a full cup. But I made them anyway, and uh, that was a big mess. Second question, if your Novec bill is $99.99, but you've got $99.97, do you have the sufficient funds to pay your electricity? No. And I'm sure all you dads can attest it's because nobody turns the lights off when they leave the room. So application for the day for the kids, turn the lights off when you leave the room. Last question to get us thinking about sufficiency. You're applying for a job. The job requires, not suggests, it requires that you've had 10 years of management experience. Also, this is an entry-level position. You currently manage a business, a successful business, but you've only done it for nine years. You're only one year from ten, so you're close enough, right? You should be able to meet the requirement. Well, that's wrong. You do not meet the requirement. Your level of experience is insufficient to satisfy the requirements of the position. Interesting. From these examples, we've seen that sufficiency matters. Even in the mundane, if you want to bake cookies, sufficiency matters. It matters for success, for accomplishing desired tasks. It matters that you have the adequate means to accomplish whatever purpose you've set out to accomplish. Without the sufficient ingredients, you won't have cookies. Without the sufficient funds, you won't pay what you owe. Without the sufficient credentials, you won't satisfy job requirements. It matters that Jesus is the all-sufficient Christ, that he himself had the all-sufficient ingredients, so to speak, to be the Christ, that he himself had the sufficient funds to pay the debts that we owe, that he himself met the sufficient credentials to be our Christ, our Messiah. His all-sufficiency matters for us as people who are separated from God 
because of our sin. Our greatest need, every one of us, is to be reconciled to God in every way. And if you're here this morning and and you've never heard that, I need you to know this morning, we need you to hear that your greatest need is not a promotion, it's not a house, it's not a decent family, it's not a bigger bank account, it's not baking cookies. Your greatest need is to be reconciled to God. And Jesus alone is sufficient to do that, to reconcile us to God. For the sake of clarity, at ground level, before we dig into anything, I want to offer a simple definition of what it means in my own words. What does all sufficiency mean? Well, all, you could say, in every way. Sufficient, you could say, adequate for some purpose. So Jesus is in every way an adequate Christ. He's not a deficient Christ, meaning he would be lacking in some kind of way and couldn't satisfy the requirements for our Christ. He's not deficient lacking. He is sufficient just right. The exact fit, the one for the job, the one that we need. He meets all the requirements and does all the things to be our Christ. See our statement of faith on repentance and faith. This is what we proclaim. We believe that repentance and faith are sacred duties and also inseparable graces wrought in our souls by the regenerating spirit of God, whereby being deeply convinced of our guilt, danger, and helplessness, and of the way of salvation by Christ, we turn to God with unfeigned contrition, confession, and supplication for mercy, at the same time heartily receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as our prophet, priest, and king, and relying on him alone as the only and all-sufficient Savior. Notice how even in our statement of faith, when it speaks to the all-sufficiency of Christ, refers to his threefold office as prophet, as priest, and as king. It's important to note categorically, theologians have classified Christ's all-sufficiency in these terms, not ultimately because they're distinct. We cannot see them as distinct, as if Christ is a prophet apart from a priest, apart from a king. No, he's all these things at the same time. However, it's good that we use these distinctions, that theologians have used these distinctions for the sake of clarity to help make sense of what scriptures teach about Christ's overall sufficiency with regards to Christ's sufficiency in each office. So speaking plainly, Jesus can't be one of these without being the other if he's going to be our all-sufficient Christ. Remember, adequate in every way. He has to be all of them. And what's encouraging, church, is he is. And he fulfills each office. It comes with Specific benefits for us who receive Christ by faith, and it's for this reason that we are going to follow their lead. We are going to follow these theologians that preceded us, and and we'll ourselves distinguish what it means for Christ to be all-sufficient with each of these offices this morning. But before we start, why these three? Why prophet, priest, king? Well, because these are the three major offices seen among the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Beginning in Genesis 1 even, with Adam, our federal head, Paul says, the first man whom God created and made to dwell in the garden to function as a prophet, speaking with God and on God's behalf to God's creation, making God known to his creation, to function as a priest, to represent mankind before God, to offer prayers, sacrifices, and praises to God. Adam, to function as a king, 
the ruler over all creation. As he and Eve obeyed God and bore children and multiplied over the face of the earth, they would, in fact, exercise dominion, kingship. But as you and I both know, this didn't last long, did it? Adam and Eve sinned against God. They severed their relationship with God by willful disobedience as we do even now. And now the rest of mankind to this day is cursed. You and I are cursed, separated from God, dead in our trespasses and sins, apart from any intervention on God's part. But it remained true that mankind was still to function in these capacities. So God gave Israel prophets and prophets spoke to God's word to God's people. God gave his people priests, and they offered sacrifices, prayers, and praise to God on behalf of Israel. And finally, God gave his people kings, meant to rule over God's people as his representative. This is important language. But each one of these offices was never perfectly fulfilled. They served as a foreshadow to the threefold office of Christ our Lord Jesus, the God-man, they foreshadowed with brokenness that which Christ himself would make complete. Prophet after priest after king failed to uphold their office with righteousness and justice because they were sinners. But Jesus, he would ultimately fulfill each of these offices perfectly. And we see just that in his life, to his death, to his resurrection, to his ascension, and now seated on his heavenly throne, Jesus is the one who reconciles us to God. Do you know him? Now I'm going to read Isaiah 52, verse 13 through 53, 12. And I waited to do so because I wanted you to have those three categories in mind. Because as I read, even a text like this, we can see that Christ needed to be our all-sufficient prophet, priest, king, as he was foretold to be, and he would be. So as we read, I'm going to point out the correlated office with each verse. It's a little exercise for us. So Isaiah 52, verse 13, read with me. Behold, my servant shall act wisely, prophet. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted, king. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations, priests. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, king. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand, prophet. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom... Has the arm of the Lord been revealed, prophet? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground, priest king. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him, prophet. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not, prophet priest. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, priest. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed, prophet priest. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, everyone, 
to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, prophet, priest. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth, prophet, priest. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, priest. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, prophet. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, prophet, priest, king. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities, prophet, priest, king. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors, prophet, priest, king. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This text is saturated with prophet, priest, and king language. Our time together today will will not serve as an exhaustive study of each office. If you want a deep dive, we've actually done one of these for the past three Advent seasons, so you can check those out in our sermons online. But today, I want to get real practical. I want to get real practical with how we can apply these truths to our lives as we trust the all-sufficient Christ. So first, Christ is our all sufficient prophet. In all these ways we've seen in 52 and 53 of Isaiah. But what is a prophet in the Old Testament and what do they do? Prophets in the Old Testament were appointed by God to receive God's word from him and proclaim God's word to his people on his behalf. The prophet functioned in a God-to-man direction, if you think about that. Because mankind was separated from God. Remember, we sin against God Our direct line of communication was lost. And God then, at that point, has chosen to communicate with mankind through the voice of his prophets. God did not speak directly to the people. That was actually unbearably terrifying, according to Deuteronomy 18. He spoke to his prophet, and the prophet spoke to his people. Now, how is Jesus the all-sufficient prophet? Two major ways. First, Jesus himself is the source of all prophecy. He's the source of all prophecy. According to John chapter 1, he is the incarnate word of God, the eternal logos, who was in the beginning with God, who was God. Proverbs 8 says it was by this logos, translated wisdom there, the word that God created all things. And Paul in Colossians 1 says, he confirms it. that When he says, without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. The author of Hebrews even confirms that Jesus is the source of all prophecy and the greatest of all prophets when he says this in Hebrews 1. 
Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Because Jesus is the eternal logos himself, Jesus is himself the source of all revelation from God. And in his life, we see him even speaking with this kind of authority. The prophets spoke on God's behalf. Thus says the Lord, Jesus speaks on his own authority, his divine authority. Truly, truly, I say to you, he can speak with that authority because he is the source of all prophecy and is the incarnate Lagos. Secondly, he's not just a source. Jesus is also the fulfillment of all prophecy. He is the fulfillment Revelation 19, verse 10, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. All the scriptures testify to the Lord Jesus. Luke 24, 44, Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Luke 22, verse 37, for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. That's from Isaiah 53. We just read. Jesus says he is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. He says he is the fulfillment, in fact, for all the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Jesus has fulfilled, is fulfilling, and will fulfill all the prophecies of Scripture. Jesus, the Word made flesh, is the all-sufficient prophet. Because he himself is the source and the fulfillment of all prophecy. Now, practically, what does this matter for us? Here's a few applications that we can make from these truths. Christ has revealed everything we need to know for salvation. Christ has revealed everything we need to know for salvation. We know now what it takes to be reconciled to God because Christ has revealed to us as prophet, it's through him. We need Jesus to be reconciled to God. If you're here and you don't know him as Lord, hear the words of the all-sufficient prophet's message and repent. Turn to him in faith. Be reconciled to God through the word made flesh. There is no other way. He said so himself. If you do know him as Lord, Christ has commissioned you as a witness to this message of salvation, to go with Christ's prophetic message of salvation and proclaim this message to those around you who have not heard, hoping and praying that the Spirit will save them. You can save no one. Don't depend on yourself as if you can. Trust the Spirit working. This is also an encouragement for believers because we ought to recognize that we stand on a firm foundation. Jesus is our sure and steadfast anchor, immovable, and if he is immovable in him, so are we. We can stand as we battle against sin, the world, the devil, because Christ, our all-sufficient prophet in John 16, says himself this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Christ has overcome the world. Praise God. And we have him. And we overcome the world too, church. We overcome the world because Christ is in us. Another application. Christ 
has revealed everything we need to know for life and godliness. Life and godliness. Jesus has taught us how we ought to live individually as Christians and corporately as Christians. He's summarized the commandments as love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And not only did he teach it throughout his ministry on earth, but he modeled it in his perfect life of obedience to God. He has shown us what it means to be holy as the Lord our God is holy. Brother, sister, in in what ways these days do you recognize that you aren't looking like Jesus or you're not obeying Jesus? And I don't just mean his words in red. I mean all scripture breathed out by God. The source and fulfillment of all things is Christ Because Christ is the source of all prophecy. He's the source of the written word of God. So whatever the word of God says, we can say is the word of Jesus to us. So what words are you not obeying? Seek the Lord and his word. Confess and repent where you need to. Don't delay. Don't sit in your sin. You don't have to. You've been set free. Don't put it off till tomorrow when the Lord's commands are for you to deal with today. Do not harden your heart. Third application. Christ continues as our all-sufficient prophet right now. He was, he is, he is to come. He continues even now as our all-sufficient prophet. And as our all-sufficient prophet right now, he is speaking to his church and through his church by the power of the Holy Spirit grounded in the revealed word of God. As he speaks to his church, hear me, he does so for upbuilding, for our unity, for our consolation and encouragement as his body, his bride. Christ is speaking to us. He's teaching us by the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who is also named the Spirit of Christ. We can say that he, Jesus, is sanctifying us and making us look more like him. He speaks to his church directly as individual members of his body, when we are reading our Bibles, when we're fasting, when we're praying, Christ is speaking to us. He's teaching us from God's word who he is. He is, uncha- he is changing us into his likeness, renewing us from one degree to the next for our good and for his glory. Christ is also speaking to his church indirectly, directly but indirectly through its members. Each one of us to one another. That's why when we gather, we ought to come prepared to build one another up. Christ is speaking to you through me. He's speaking to me through you for our good, our mutual benefit, and for his glory. The apostle Paul speaks to this in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. He says, what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Notice the purpose in this context for Christ's gift through the Holy Spirit to the church are for building up. Jesus is in this way, building his church with his church. Christ speaks to us, but he also speaks through his church to the world by the power of the Holy Spirit grounded in his word. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 speaks of this. I didn't put that up there, sorry, Christian. And his way of speaking to the world through his church 
is through our witness. Okay, We witness to Christ by the message we proclaim, and we witness to Christ by the love that we share. I'll say it in this, I'll say it in this way. We both speak and we show the message of the gospel to the world around us. This means we need to look and sound like Christ's church. Every one of us, together, the word from Christ to his church and within his church is built up. Encourage, console, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 4. The word from Christ through his church to the world is repent and believe the gospel, Romans 1, 16. Are we a witness to the world? Are we loving one another? We ought to pray for both. Pray for avenues for gospel proclamation to make Jesus known and seek them out and do it. And pray on behalf of brothers and sisters here, their needs, yes, but more specifically, I'm speaking to praying and asking God who you can encourage and how you can encourage them and then do it when we gather together. Seek them out. Share an encouraging word from God's word that will build up their faith. And for those of us who are just gifted by the Spirit to do these things, I would encourage you to do them even more. Do them even more. Outdo one another in showing good. For those of us who are not gifted in these kinds of ways, you're still called to love your brothers and sisters. And that might just look like reciting a Bible verse that you memorized this week or that you just opened the Bible to show them. Whether you're soft-spoken or introverted or just feel ill-equipped to encourage someone, you just shared a Bible verse with them. And you are trusting the Spirit by His power to work through you and to encourage them. Praise God. We need to love one another like this. Not just because we're commanded, but because we can all fall away if we don't. Christ speaks His word to us by His Holy Spirit, grounded in the written word. And that is something you and I might receive in a quiet time all by ourselves, but what about the brother or sister who hasn't heard? Whether by sinful rejection of the word or neglect or just busyness of life, whether they're a new believer or they're a mom who can't get five minutes alone with the Lord in a day, or maybe you just know your Bible ins and out and you haven't been reading it. More than anything, both of us need to hear from Jesus. So let's encourage one another with the word made flesh who still speaks to us. Second, and what were they and what did they do? Priests in the Old Testament were appointed by God to represent God's people and offer sacrifices, prayers, and praise to God. The priest functioned in a man-to-God direction. Prophet, God-to-man, priest, man-to-God. Again, because mankind is so utterly separated in every way from God because of our sin. No one could enter into the presence of God. No one can enter his presence because the righteous judge for a sinner to stand in the presence of God by their own merit warrants immediate justice and the penalty for sin is death. Eternal death. Eternal separation from God in hell under his wrath. The Israelites learned this. Then we recognize it now and that you and I 
cannot stand before God by our own merit. If you're trying to do that today, I'm telling you, it will not work. It doesn't matter how good we think we are. If we've sinned against him, even one time, the scriptures say we're guilty of breaking the entirety of his law, and we stand condemned. Maybe you might say, I've only ever... I've only ever told a small white lie. Well, if you've only ever told the smallest, whitest lie, you said it never hurt anybody. I've never hurt anyone with that sin. Friend, the smallest, whitest lie stains the soul in bright scarlet. And souls stained with sin have no place in the purity of God's presence. So how is Jesus the sufficient priest? Three ways. Jesus was sinlessly perfect. He obeyed God's law perfectly. In his living, in his suffering, never traced nor stain of sin. And he accomplished this work as a man living in submission to God. Never his will, but the Father's be done through him. We miss the glory of his perfection if we say things like, well, of course he was perfect. He was God. Yes, he was God, Jesus is the God-man. But we ought not forsake that he was both. And it was as a man, God came into the world, Christ Jesus, to fulfill the law, walk in submission to God, in reliance on and empowered by the Holy Spirit. What else does it mean when the scriptures say this in Hebrews 2.17? Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Church, if he was perfect simply because he was God, then he did not adequately represent mankind in our weakness and could not therefore be our high priest. In every respect, that included taking on human flesh in our weakness, in our frailty, in our subjectivity to temptation. Isaiah 53, 4 said that. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Seven, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Jesus was the perfect man, making him a fitting mediator for imperfect mankind. Second way it matters, or second way how Jesus is the all-sufficient priest, Jesus himself is the once-for-all sacrifice for our sin. He was sinless, but he became a sacrifice Because Jesus was like us in every way. He was fully a man, not just like us. He is able to stand in our place as our representative before God. Hebrews 10.4 couldn't be clearer. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Well, if they can't take away sins, why did God have the people of Israel offer so many sacrifices so often? It's because God wanted it to be crystal clear that any atonement for any sin before him needed to be cleansed. By blood. It needed to be cleansed both of its sin and sin's penalty. Yet God promised that he would overlook them, even then, forbearing until Jesus would come. So, for all the people of God who trusted God's promises that this blood being spilt is spilt on their behalf, they were all trusting by faith in the greatest sacrifice of all that had not come yet which was Christ, who became sin, though he knew no sin, so that in him we might become righteous. 
His sacrifice really does cleanse us, church. It delivers us from sin's penalty and it appeases God's wrath. We're no longer under his wrath. We're under his grace. Third way, Jesus is the all-sufficient priest. Jesus is the perfect mediator between God and man. He's the all-sufficient priest because he's a better sacrifice, a better high priest, a better mediator of a better covenant in which nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus as long as we trust him by faith. We're cleansed, made new, reconciled to God in right relation with him and in right standing before him. Remember that. All these things are true of Christ as our mediator. But what does that matter for us? We hear some application. Christ's priesthood. In Christ, Christian, you have been cleansed of all, that word is important, all of your sin for all time. You are forgiven. He bore our griefs Carried our sorrows, as our text said, his, soul's, his soul makes an offering for guilt. And if he bore your sin on the tree, he accounts you righteous. His chastisement brought you peace. His wounds were for your healing. Brother or sister, if you struggle with guilt or shame over past sins, look to your high priest who endured the cross, that he might cleanse you and I and our consciences from dead works. They're dead because they're gone. You do not have to bear them anymore, even in your mind. If you are stuck on a sin from the past, I would encourage you, surrender it to the Lord and remember his offering for guilt that brings you peace now and forevermore. Maybe you feel trapped by some besetting sin, something you can't break. Whatever it is, remember that our all-sufficient priest has set us free from the bondage to sin. You don't have to sin that way anymore. You can walk by faith in the light because you've been cleansed and not just for right now. Jesus' sacrifice cleanses you once for all time. The debt of your sin, hear this, is paid in full. So why are you trying to pay it? It's been paid in full. Sin's stain has been washed white as snow, just like he promised. Another encouragement, we can communicate directly to God through Christ. We can communicate directly to God through Christ. That's crazy. We have no need for a human priest for anything. Not confession or prayers or forgiveness or absolution or anything on our behalf. You, if you are in Christ, can talk to God right now in your seat or wherever you go. This is why we pray in Jesus' name. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That's why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Jesus is our covenant mediator. And since we can pray to God anywhere and at any time about anything, let's pray. Let's pray. Prayer releases us from the pride of self-dependency. 
as we entrust ourselves and our needs to our God who cares. So let me ask you this. How is your prayer life? Do you have a thriving prayer life? If so, praise God. Make your requests known to him all the more. Make supplications for all the saints that we might have the same zeal and endurance to pray like that. But maybe your prayer life is lacking. Maybe you can't remember the last time you prayed two days in a row. It's okay. If you recognize it, give glory to God. Because that means the Spirit is working in your heart right now. So take a step forward, growing in dependency on God right now. Walk with a brother or sister through this. Make a promise to hold a brother or sister accountable to pray once a week, to pray twice a week, three times, whatever it might be. Discipline yourself and set yourself up for success with accountability and, not only accountability, set yourself up for success with something to pray for. Ask a brother or sister, for a prayer request. Give your request to them and ask them to pray for you. We can encourage one another in this way because we can speak directly to the Father through our all-sufficient priest. So let's take every opportunity that we can to do so. And that's our last application point. Jesus continues as our all-sufficient priest right now. The same way he's our our prophet right now, he's our priest right now. If Jesus were to stop at any point being our mediator, we would then be separated once more from God, but this this time never to return. We would never be reconciled again because that means at that point Jesus was not all-sufficient. He was not an all-sufficient priest because he could not draw us near to God the way he claimed he could. But church, because Jesus is the God-man, made like us in every way, yet remains the one who was with God and the one who was God before the foundations of the world, eternal, nothing ever will and nothing ever could separate us again from God. Theologians call this the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. What does that mean? Christ has us and Christ will never let us go. What relief this should bring to us especially as we suffer in various ways. Christ has us. We are secure in him forever, redeemed and reconciled, never again to be separated from our God because of our all-sufficient priest. Third point this morning. Christ is our all-sufficient king. What is a king in the Old Testament and what do they do? Israel's kings in the Old Testament were appointed by God to function as God's representative to rule over God's people in righteousness and justice. Again, they themselves were beset with weaknesses, like the prophets, like the priests. So they could not rule in the manner to which God had called them to rule. They were also fallen and finite. The prophets, the priests, and still the kings couldn't satisfy the necessity of an eternal word, an eternal mediator, an eternal ruler. So how is Jesus the sufficient king? Church, Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. Does this reality still give you chills when you read the gospel accounts, when the angel says, he's not here, for he is risen. 
Do the foundations of the earth still shake? Yes, the Lord is shaking them. Do you hear them shaking? Rejoice with me, church. Our king did not lose when he laid his life down. He had the authority to lay it down on his own accord, and he has the authority to bring it back up again, which he did. Our righteous king suffered and went down to death that he might conquer sin and death once for all. He became sin so that we could be reunited with him. Not only is this a historical fact, but this is the pivotal act in redemptive history. Without the resurrection, we are all who confess Christ, people to be most pitied. But there is an empty grave where Jesus used to lay. As we sing, he lived to die, who died to rise, the all-sufficient sacrifice, all praise to him. And because he rose, all the promises of a king who would sit on the throne of David, all the promises of one who would rule in righteousness and justice, one who would gather his sheep and rule over them, the scepter of Judah, Psalm 45, 6-7. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. That church is our king and that leads us to the second reason jesus is the all-sufficient king he rose but after he rose christ ascended to the right hand of the father where he rules as king forever it was after all his rightful throne the throne that all earthly thrones pointed to and are in subjection to, the throne that he himself left as he humbled himself by becoming a servant, even to the point of death on a cross. And it is there at the right hand of God on his throne right now that all things have been subjected to him. Things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth. Rulers, authorities, principalities, cosmic powers, and the spiritual forces of evil, Ephesians 6. The devil himself, wounded with a fatal blow, defeated, as the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 2. We do not yet see all things in subjection to him, but we do see Jesus, our conquering king. And we trust him by faith until he does what he's promised us. What does this matter for us? Some application to finish our time. Church, sin and death no longer have dominion over you. Jesus is your Lord. You are a slave to righteousness, to Christ. Our eyes have been open to these things. Sin is a slave master and death is a fear monger. Jesus has put sin and death to death. They no longer call the shots. Hear me, church. Christ has set you free from your bondage to sin and death. With regards to sin, hear this. If you have been set free by Christ, you don't have to sin. You have all the power you need right now residing in you. The Holy Spirit himself in you can deliver you from any temptation. You don't have to get sinfully angry in that way or covet in this way or gossip here or whatever sin you're tempted with. The Lord provides you with the way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, even if that means... You stand right in the middle of temptation by his power, or you get up and you run away. You have everything you need. With death, we no longer 
have anything to fear? What can death do but threaten us with the loss of worldly things? To lose our life is actually gain for us. We get the triune God. The moment our eyes close and we enter into eternity, death's doorway opens wide to the joy of heaven where there will be no need for a sun or a moon because King Jesus will be the light. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes for all of eternity and we will be with him. Do you live like these things are true right now? When you battle sin, do you battle knowing that the one who conquered your sin has sealed you with the Spirit and you too have the power to conquer sin right now? Think about this. Have you ever played a sports team, played on a sports team, and you're looking at the opponent and they're huge? They seem unbeatable, to say the least. Well, lo and behold, there's always one Debbie Downer on the team who sees them and says stuff like, oh no, there's, there's no way we're going to win. Did you see them? Did you see how big they were? If you spend more time thinking about all the ways you can lose, rather than the one way you'll win, what do you think will most likely happen? You'll lose. It's similar with sin. If you enter into battles assuming that you're going to lose, what good is that for you? Enter the battle knowing Christ has won. Christ has already put that sin to death. And if you are with him, you can overcome that sin, that temptation, whatever it is, you can overcome it. Another application, glorious truth. We've been made heirs with Christ. Church, this means we will rule with King Jesus. This means we will receive the inheritance that King Jesus will receive from God the Father. He'll divide the spoils with us. I mean, look at the bookends from our text this morning, Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Isaiah 53, 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Jesus is the wise servant. Jesus is the exalted one. He's the one who conquered sin and death. But church, see his goodness. See his selflessness, his love in that he did all of this himself. But he will share it with us who didn't accomplish it. Not out of obligation, but willingly. What a king we serve who came to us not to be served himself, but to serve us and give his life as a ransom for many. If he was lifted up, we will be lifted up with him. If he was exalted, we too will be exalted. If he conquered sin and death as king, all rulers and authorities, then he will divide his conquered spoil with us. Namely, we will inherit the earth. If all the fullness of the heavens and the earth belong to King Jesus... He will share the fullness of the heavens and the earth with us. When you're tempted to fear, think of King Jesus who silences those voices. When you're tempted to despair, think of the glories that await us by King Jesus' side out of his own hand from his throne. When you're tempted to throw it all away, to quit, to stop following him, to just stop fighting, 
look to King Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's your king and he's got you. Trust him. Last encouragement, application. Jesus continues right now as our all-sufficient king. And he will forever. He rules and he reigns. The temptation to look around is real. In the midst of the world's issues and the difficulties that we face, and the temptation to ask where God is, is ever present. Where's King Jesus in all this? Has he forgotten about us? I thought he was the ruler of everything. Everything was on subjection to his feet. He is. He has not forgotten about us. No. In fact, Matthew 24, 11 through 14, he's already told us that all of these things would happen. Happen. They would have to happen. These are just the beginning of the birth pains, the trials, the tribulations, the struggles, the the deaths, the natural disasters. But his gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. And then he says the end will come. The end. When the king returns and gathers his people. When he puts his enemies under his feet once for all. When every knee bows and confesses. But we've got to make it to the end, church. How are we going to make it to the end? This is our final encouragement. You are not sufficient on your own to make it to the end. But Christ is all sufficient. Trust him. And as you individually trust him, And we encourage one another. We corporately will make it to the end together. We won't make it any other way. And the Lord has ordained it this way. That he would gather a people to himself and his people would gather together, encouraging one another as they see the day drawing near, the end drawing near. And then when that day comes, the end comes, we will finally be reconciled to God. Reconciled now in his spirit but bodily, when we see him face to face, we'll rise with him. This is what makes him the all-sufficient Christ. Because in every way, through his roles as prophet, priest, and king, he has accomplished what the Christ needed to accomplish on our behalf for us to be reconciled to God now and for eternity. Praise God. Let's pray.